What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. This is the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. We got the whole crew with us tonight, today, this afternoon, this evening. I don't even know what it is. It's all running together for me. We are uh, what, two days post-game. Memphis Grizzlies beat the Brooklyn Nets. Dylan Brooks comes back. And I said before the game, if he didn't play, that I didn't think the Grizzlies really stood a chance in this game. He comes out, he shoots two for 13, goes 0 for 5 from 3, but was still a positive. And the Grizzlies managed to beat them by 10 points, 134 to 24. I say managed, but I really feel like the, the Grizzlies controlled this game. There was just a run late in the game. They were able to, you know, withstand it, weather it, and come out better on better off. And then uh it was it was a shootout, right? Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant combined for 60-74. John Morant, Desmond Bain combined for 76. 76. So, uh, it is confirmed as of, I don't even know what date was that. That was uh 10-24, right? 10-24-22 confirmed that uh, John Morant and Desmond Bain are greater than Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. If you didn't know, now you hey, know. Best backward in the NBA. That's right. <laughs> Killing it. That's uh and so Candace, I'm gonna go to you first. I typically throw it to Isaac first here. We we and I say we as in me and you and Isaac were a little bit concerned, and there were a lot of other folks in Grizz Nation that were concerned with Desmond Bain. After seeing him play 32 minutes in this game, going 14 for 21 from the field, 38 points, seven assists. Like, just tore it up. Do you have any more concerns about Desmond Bain, or do you think that uh, we're on the other side of that now? Well, uh, I think we're on the other side. I mean, we may see a dip. Uh, we might we might see a dip. I think I think, I think he still, to some extent, getting his legs under him. I mean, the game started off slow for him. I mean, he had six points going into halftime, so it seemed like it was going to be another game. He did have a three-pointer, so you did see him get that going. But at, at the half, you know, he only had six points, and he just exploded. 19 points in the third quarter and you just absolutely love to see that now I I knew Desmond was going to come around eventually the question for me was a matter of how long was it going to take him to get going because this team needed him now um so that was more of my concern than him actually you know getting getting back and back on track but it man had such a great he, he had such an incredible performance uh Monday night that he was shooting under 30% from three before that game. And now he's shooting over, I think it's 41% for the, for the season now, just because that's that a, one game skewed. His the back. early season swings, man. Yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he's back on track statistically to uh, kind of about what we expected for him. You know, you might not see, I, I don't know if you'll see these kind of performances. He really just had, he, he really just got high, but I think he's getting more comfortable in the rhythm. It's an optimistic sign that it won't, be too much longer if anything else and you know maybe it's coincidence maybe it's not but I think at least having another score in Dylan even though he wasn't hitting anything um <laughs> having another score in Dylan on the court maybe that opens up more opportunities for Desmond maybe he gets you know maybe he's not defended as hard I, I don't know what what changes for him and that maybe there's a dynamic there too um but we'll see um either way I'm, I'm happy for him and uh, he, it was well needed. They needed every bit of both him and Desmond's points because uh, KD and Kyrie were they were on a heater too, and it was a lot of back and forth. But it was incredible, incredible game to watch. 
Yeah, man, I, I think my biggest takeaway from this game is they were 2 at one coming in. They had two wins. You had to win uh, over the Knicks and, of course, the win at Houston and got kind of got your doors blown off in Dallas on their back-to-back. But this is the first game this year where it really looked like Venice Grizzly basketball, like what we are used to seeing from the team, man. You had Steven Adams back out getting the offensive rebounds, uh, getting extra possession. That's what this team kind of hung their hat on, man. We saw a lot of that um, in this game. And death and vain. I mean, I think some of the concerns that we had on the last podcast, I mean, first we were talking about Brandon Clark, him kind of standing in the corner, him being away from the basket, not being utilized the way where, where he's most effective. And I think we saw in this game, man, we get, he got back to some of that in the paint. I mean, he he played really well. No, the the plus minus doesn't look too good. I think he was negative ten. The entire bench was a negative. Uh, but we saw more of what we used to seeing from Brandon Clark in this game. And Desmond Bain, I think all my I think all of my concerns as far as the injury situation, I think are are gone. But I, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think having Dylan back, and he even talked about this after the game. I think on the defensive end. I don't think with Dylan Brooks back out there, he doesn't have to exert as much energy on that end, and I think that helps him on the offensive end. Even with Dylan struggling for the floor, I think that helped him because, I mean, he would have been out there having to guard KD and stuff at times if Dylan Brooks wasn't out there, and that wears you out, um, especially for a guy that that shoots the basketball. So I think that – I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think he talked about it after after the game. You look at the numbers for DB, they don't look good, but I definitely think he had an impact. I don't think it's a coincidence that they – kind of exploded offensively when he got back in there. I think he is a threat, even though he wasn't shooting the ball well. He's another guy that defenses have to be concerned with, even when he's not making shots. So, I mean, just a tremendous performance, man, 134 points, and you just see your backcourt go off with that 76 points. Uh, if you look at it from three, from combined from three, John, that's like 12 of, 12 of 17 three from your backcourt. I mean, that's just – Tremendous stuff. Uh, and, and the entire team, man, all Dumba still doing his thing. 17 points, four rebounds, a steal, a block. Super efficient, six of eight, knocked down two threes. Perfect from the free throw line at three of three plus 17. Steven Adams, finished performance from him, nine points, 13 rebounds, two assists, a steal, a block. I mean, just the entire, the entire starting lineup, man, it, it looked like Grizzlies basketball for the first time. Um, and I think they were working through some things. And I was one of the ones that wasn't super optimistic, man. I, I still think there will be times this year where that being young on the bench is, is going to – you're going to have some growing pains at times, but this has come together a lot quicker than I thought. Um, I, I didn't think we'd see a performance like we saw last night against a team like Brooklyn this early in the season without Jaron working some new guys in and some of the stuff they were dealing with. So it was super impressive, man. I, I walked away from this game feeling a lot better than I felt uh, going into that game one against the Knicks. Dennis, I think you were try- trying to chime in there. I'll let you go go ahead and say what you're trying to say, but I I, I want to go back to Dylan whenever uh, whenever you finish up. No, no, no. Go, go ahead, about Dylan. Okay, so you said you you think that he uh, he made an impact. There's no think he did. Like he 100 percent made an impact on the game. You on can, this. you know, I mean, th- this is John yeah. Rogier. Like there was an article, and I believe it was a commercial appeal talking about Dylan Brooks came back and made it tough on Kevin Durant. And John Rozier is like, oh, he shot 70% from the field and scored 37 points. He scored 21 of his 37 when Dylan Brooks was not on the floor. In the second half, Kevin Durant was 6 for 7 with 15 points without Dylan Brooks on him. With Dylan Brooks on him, he was 1 for 3 with for 4 points. 
So he made an impact on that end of the floor. His offense was garbage. This is I, I mean I you talking, I was gonna say you can see that the fact that he, that he was still plus seven with how yeah, bad he yeah, was like, offense, but that shows you the impact right there. It, it's mind boggling to me how many people like I I know what he looks like offensively, and I can promise you that I get just as frustrated as everybody else watching him take ill advised shots coming down with 19 seconds on the shot clock, taking a 28 footer from the logo. Like that's not his game. And and I want to run out on the floor and spear his ass when he does that. But he brings a ton to this team. If you go back to last year and you look at the lineups that were on, like when Dylan Brooks was on the floor, this team is better across the board, except for in one spot. And that one spot is opponent free throw rate. And we know that Dylan Brooks fouls people. That that's it's what he does. The defensive rating for the Grizzlies when Brit when Dylan Brooks was on the floor last year was 106.3. The average defensive rating for the 30 teams in the NBA last year was 114.6. With Dylan Brooks on the floor for the Grizzlies, and this is this is him with everybody else every other lineup combination that it could be. It it was just specifically focused on Dylan Brooks. They're eight points better defensively with Dylan on the floor. And, yeah, all of his his ill-advised shots, all of the stuff that he does that drives us nuts, I I get that. I understand that. I was talking with another member of, of Grizz Media at the game and we, you know, we were just kind of discussing the contracts and who has signed, who hasn't signed. And obviously Dylan is one that hasn't signed. And he said, if Dylan could ever swallow his pride and just go out there and be that lockdown defender, he's like, if Dylan wasn't worried about trying to score 20 points a game, if all he done was went out there and, and played that lockdown defender role he would stay in this league for probably 13 or 14 more years. But he doesn't think that Dylan is going to swallow his pride enough to be able to do that. And he say, he told me, he's like, I don't think that he's here after this year. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they traded him before the trade deadline because it's too much value to let walk out the door for nothing. Yeah, I, I've been saying that for a couple of years. Like, I, I, I definitely think that he's probably out of here at the trade deadline. And I think – his offense, it's been a while since we've seen good Dylan offensively with any consistency. There were there were times where he would play really well offensively, but he's been bad much more often than good offensively here lately. I mean, going back to the playoffs, some games were just terrible in the playoffs, and I think I, I think that's gonna kind of make help them make their decision. Uh, I think he's just been so bad offensively. I feel like they're gonna be nice where he's gonna be better, but it's just been so bad as of late and in recent memory, I know he was injured off and on last year and that's what that probably played a part, but it hasn't looked any better. Looked bad in the preseason, looks bad now. Uh, but but you're right, man. He has such an impact on the defensive end and the culture. You just wish he could could rein it in. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think we've seen, seen enough of him to realize I don't think that's going to be a major change in him. Early in the season last year, we got to talk about, we got to give him some credit. For, for, for making some passes that he probably wouldn't make in the past, but it just always seems to revert back to what we've seen, what we're seeing now offensively. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, you, you get the desire Williams injury news and we'll talk about that. Maybe that plays a part. We'll see how 
how that plays a part because I think they kind of view Zaire as possibly a replacement for him. And that's going to hurt his development some because you want to see Zaire taking that next step here early. And I think that would even help them kind of make the decision like, well, Zaire is taking that next step so we can go ahead and move him at the deadline. So that's an interesting aspect of this as well. But I've, I've just kind of going back to last year, man, I've been saying that looking at these guys, looking at who's on the team, looking at who you have to pay, I felt like one guy was going to be the odd man out. And I've just kind of felt like that's, that was going to be Dylan. And he's too good of an asset. This front office is not going to gonna play out the string and let him possibly walk at the end of the season for nothing. If they feel like he's not going to be a long-term piece and they're not going to re-sign him, I, I think we see him move at the deadline. Yeah, and, and we might. Um, but I, I will give him this. I, I know people get – it was a frustrating game offensively for him. But I think his shot attempts was right in line with where you wanted to be at 13. He was two for 13, so you obviously would want him to make more of those. But in terms of – you know, who should be taking those shots. I mean, in terms of pick and order without Jaron Jackson Jr. playing, you'd want him to take the third highest in that. That's pretty much where he fell in. So you want him to be more efficient, obviously, but um, I'm not going to kill him for that tonight. He also played a lot better in the second half, I thought. Uh, part of it is he's going to take some time to get his feet from under him. I mean, this whole team struggled. Uh, the first two games shooting was a a huge issue outside of John Morant. Nobody else could really uh, shoot for these pre- uh, all the way up to this game. Uh, this is our first game really seeing Des be able to even shoot efficiently. Tyus is still struggling. And so I think we can only extend Dylan that same grace uh, in the meantime. And he, had, he didn't do that bad with fouls either. He only had three fouls. Des was actually the one who had, who had foul trouble. So I'll give him that. He, had some, um, he did have positive impact on the game. Um, I, I, just to clarify, I didn't mean – Brooks' impact on the game. I was just talking about in regards to Bain get coming out of his shooting slump. Was Dylan's com- Dylan coming back helping Bain get out of his shooting slump in particular? But uh, yeah, and I and I think another just to go back to to him still getting his feet under him. Contra actually played more minutes um, than Dylan Brooks. Contra played twenty six minutes. Uh, Dylan Brooks just played twenty four. So I think they're still aware that he's got to get you know get in shape, get his conditioning in. Uh, I'm curious, they played him some with the second unit. I don't know if that's something they'll continue to play around with or if that was just simply because of, you know, him still getting his feet under, under him. But did you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, that I mean, that's going to be interesting. I think with with Zaire, uh, looks like it's going to be out for a while. I'd be surprised if we saw him before 23. They say four to six weeks, but we know how cautious the Grizzlies are with those injuries. I mean, you were planning on having him back, and he was going to be a big part of that second unit uh so it's going to be interesting i do think we will see dylan uh some more with that second unit uh more than you usually see him with that second unit just by the way the roster is constructed right now uh because you, you don't have zaire there to kind of take up some of those minutes behind him so i do think you're going to see him mix and match with some of those lineups man with dylan man i, I just wish he stick to that mid-range i mean he's good at creating those shots and you just don't want to see the open five i know he's two from 13 but five of those shots were threes and did, he did not knock down one, man. You just can't keep shooting those threes if you're not knocking them down, man. If you're making them, man, by all means, man, because he can get hot and he can he can win a game for you. We've seen that happen, but you just continue to shoot when you know you don't have it, man. That's that's the thing, but it, it's tough because, especially now, not having Jaren, your defense suffers. You need him on the floor. Uh, so it's it's kind of conundrum for, for Taylor Jenkins, man, because you really can't take him off the floor because you need that defensive, what he brings on the defensive end. And 
it, it has a positive impact on the rest of the guys. And I think we saw that in this game. So it's just a a, a, a tough situation, man. But we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I kind of I like him with that second unit because you know last year you know Melton was kind of that guy that when he was on he would be that spark plug to give you the scoring punch and and I think playing Dylan with that second unit gives you somebody that is a scorer even though that's not necessarily the role that they want him in but because of injuries yeah, then, I, think then, yeah you know, I, I think it's a it's a good fit um it, it's it's tough I I don't know I I would have thought if Zaire was healthy I wonder if we don't see Dylan come off of the bench and, and that is, you know, it, is he receptive to that role? Does that happen? And then, you know, I look at that and I'm like, is Zaire going to be enough defensively to have Dylan Brooks coming off of the bench? Cause it's really tough to have your best defender sitting on the bench when, you know, he's not the most efficient offensive guy, but he does bring a ton on the defensive end Isaac was kind of touching on his efficiency. And the last time that we got a glimpse of really efficient Dylan Brooks was going back to that Utah Jazz playoff series where, you know, he he shot over 50% in that series and looked really, really good and made a huge impact. You know, there were games where Dylan's play kept the Grizzlies in that series. But since then, it's been few and far between like he, he will have his games where he has that but he's not been able to string that together would love to see that happen that would it'd be great for him you know he, he's going to get paid anyway regardless but if he was able to find some consistency somewhere here between now and the end of the season I think that's going to drive his prize tag up even more which is not necessarily a good thing for the Grizzlies but if they're moving off of him anyway you know, maybe it can bring them more in return. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, I'm not to say that we were pushing for him to trade him or anything because I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that wants somebody here on the first thing smoking. But I, I feel like at the deadline, that package could bring you something decent, something if you decide to move on Dylan, like I've always said, add that Daddy Green contract to it. That's a lot of expired money. That would be really attractive to these teams that are that are destined to be in the Victor Wimanyana sweepstakes by by the time the deadline comes up. I mean, you might be able to get more than you usually would for that package. I, I think you'll be able to get something that could possibly help you going into the playoffs if they decide to go that direction. Uh, but it, it's, it's just tough, man, because I, I really like Dylan. I, I just wish he could be more efficient on that offensive end, man. Just, again, man, if, if he just stuck to the big range and stuck to his defense and, and stopped coming down, pulling up for these wild threes, man, it would be, it would be fine, man. But it's just, I, I just feel like it's in his DNA. I, I feel like he feels like the, the way to, the, his best way to affect the game is scoring, and it, it's just not it. I mean, that's just not what he needs to be doing, man. And I, and again, man, I, cause I, I know how much he means to this culture, to this team, and I, I hate to, for them to move on from him, but I just think, looking long term, I just don't know if you can lock him up on, on that amount of money. I mean, you're a small market team. You've already paid all these guys. You got to pay. There's Bain, and I know Perry said he's willing to pay, but he's willing to pay for the guys that they want here. And, and that's going to be the question is, do they view him as a long-term fit? And, and the Zaire thing, I think, kind of throws a wrench in that. Because as I said a minute ago, I think you wanted to see 
Zaire take that step. And I think that would have helped them in their decision. And if Zaire's not coming back to January, and you talk about trade deadline in February, that kind of clouds things right there. So that, that that's going to be kind of a soap opera that we're going to be watching play out uh, throughout the year. But I think this front office, if you don't see a move at the deadline, I think that means that they're possibly going to send him. I think it might be – if he stays here, I think it'll be a shorter-term deal, something that we saw with Tyus. I don't think they're going to lock him up. I don't think you see four years. I, I don't think we'll see that. But something that's going to be – I'm definitely going to be paying attention to. Um, but I do think, as you guys said, I think we'll see Dylan playing in that second unit. I think just with the injuries, you need that offensive spark off the bench. Um, and, and I think that's not exactly what you want him to be doing. But I think right now, man, you really don't have a lot of choice uh, for them to play him some with those, that second unit. So. Yeah, I want to go back to a point um, that you made a while ago when you were first talking about the game in the Grizz basketball. I actually, um, you know, you're talking about this is the first, this was the first game that was more like Grizz basketball, but I actually want to, I actually want to talk about that a little bit more because I, I think what Grizz basketball is, is changing. I think when people think about Grizz basketball, we think about all the aspects that made this team successful last year and one of their very successful runs. But I think they're trying to change what Grizz, Grizz basketball means, at least in terms of play style. Um, I think the culture is still very much so there. So I'm not talking about that part that 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 exists anyway, and that's that's a lot alive and thriving. But right now, um, this team is ranked number five in half court offense, which was a huge issue uh, last season. Um, it was they were good at transition points, they were good at uh, second chance points. It's pretty much the only way they could shoot uh, or get offense going. They they were they were not very efficient. I think they were one of the, the only top 10, 10 offenses to not have also be top 10. And uh, I think they were like bottom 10 off actually in when it came to a uh, field goal deficiency. And so they lived off of that. And I think they're trying to change it. They to climb and talk about it in the off season, their emphasis on shooting. And, and we've seen some inefficient shooting from them. I, it, it hasn't felt like they've been shooting very efficiently, but they've been, getting up enough attempts where the half-court offense is still thriving somehow. So I just wanted to get sort of you guys' thoughts on that. I think it's evolving. I think when we're going to look back on this season and say Grizz basketball, it's not going to be those points in the paints. Or I'm not sure that those are the things that we should be looking for in terms of how we define Grizzly basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a it's a fantastic point. And there are a number of things that are contributing that. You know, you have – the, the, what Santi Aldama is able to bring to this team, you know, he is kind of not a um, dollar for dollar replacement for Kyle Anderson. But if Kyle Anderson was still on this roster, he would be the starting four right now with Jaron being out. And, and Santi is significantly better offensively, at least shooting wise, and, and maybe even all around than Kyle Anderson offensively. And so, so that's going to help you on the offensive end. You know, the the rookies we've seen kind of spurts from Laravia. Roddy has really struggled offensively once we've gotten into the regular season here. I hope that he finds his footing. I, I think that he will. And I think this Zaire injury actually accelerates that a little bit. You know, if with yeah. him struggling the way that he has offensively, if Zaire was coming back in the next week or two, I, I think Roddy kind of goes and spends some time with the hustle to work out his offensive kinks. But because of the Zaire injury, I think that he's going to get more opportunity. Um, but, yeah, you, you look at 
we've seen a lot of John Morant and Steven Adams. They go off the floor at the same time. They come back on at the same time. And that is not unintentional. That That is something John Morant is able to do the things that he does more efficiently with Steven Adams on the floor. And, and that's all, you know, part of their plan, part of the, you know, the coaching staff has an idea of what they want to do and they've been doing a good job this far of executing it. And also the the defense has not been great. So you have to be better on the offensive end in order to win these games. And that's, you know, Dylan played well on Kevin Durant, but still, you know, a, a combined 74 points from your two stars on most nights, that's going to be enough to win the game for you. They were doing just enough defensively to get this game won. So, you know, I, I think you're right that this is definitely something that Kleiman wants to do. He said, you know, shooting, he, he wants the, the half court. You can win, and you can win a lot of regular season games the way that they played basketball last year. We saw them do it. But when you get to the playoffs, your half court offense has got to be able to thrive. And that is they, they struggled against Dallas. A lot of that, I think, was fatigue, you know, early in the year back to back. But as they continue to play throughout this season and we see more development from these younger guys and this team gets healthier, I think that we're going to see the numbers for that half-court offense continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, coming, coming out of the draft, uh, as you said, Kleiman was talking about shooting, 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 and I think that's kind of what they were looking at uh, when, when they took a guy like LaRavia. David Roddy shot 40-plus percent in Colorado State. Uh, but I think they took those two guys – and you might not get a lot of that from those those guys this year. Um, I think they're going to get more development time than you, you thought, especially with the Zaire injury. I think they're going to be a little bit more important than maybe initially thought. Uh, but I think they're looking long-term, and I think they think those are two guys that eventually will help them with that half court. Uh, I think that's definitely the direction that they're trying to go in because, as David said, you can win a lot of regular season games, running up and down, getting deflections, getting second-chance points. But when you get into the playoffs, game slows down, man, you got to be able to execute a half court. you got to be able to shoot the basketball, and that's something that this team has struggled with at times. Uh, I think Aldama having him, uh, his shooting, I think even John Morant's um, shooting, I mean, has been off the charts here, and I, I want to ask you guys about that uh, here sometime during the show. I mean, 12 or 20 for 60% so far this year. That's He's not going to keep up with that clip, but I, I really do think that he's a reliable three-point shooter at this point. I don't think this is a fluke. I don't necessarily think it's a hot streak or anything. I think he's shooting with confidence, and I believe in his three-point shooting. But I definitely think that's kind of the way they're going, and that's that's. I mean, because you, in order to be to have that success in the playoffs, man, you got to be able to execute in the half court, man. That because that offensive rebound and, and getting second chance points that works sometimes, but a lot of times, especially against really good teams, when the game slows down, that you're not always going to be able to win that way. Um, and this team. John Contrar uh, is another guy who's been consistent shooting the basketball so far this season, man. I'm I'm impressed, man, with with Jitty and with with all these guys. But again, I thought this would take a little bit longer to come together. And man, Jitty looks like a rotation player. Uh, there's no question about that. Aldama, even though I was confident in him coming in and, and kind of filling in for Jaron, I think he's more than than filled in. I think he's done a little bit more than just filled in. I mean, he's been fantastic for this team and just a lot of things going right here early, man, that, that I didn't expect to come together this quick. So it's man, it's sitting here three and one, man. I, I don't think you can be upset with that at all, man. But 134 points, that's 
super impressive uh, at, at this point in the season with some of the questions they had coming in and some of the injuries and stuff they're dealing with. Yeah, and I think that's what you, what their recipe is going to have to be because right now there is still a defensive hole in where Darren Jackson Jr. is missing. Uh, he's, his presence is still missed. Uh, they they were able to take the edge and points in the paint this game, this past game, but that's been an issue. Uh, most teams have, have just been able to out shoot them in the paint, and that's you normally never see that, but uh, that rim protection is – sort of missing there. So I'm really excited to see where this team goes. And they just kind of piece together these wins just by outscoring opponents, you know, focusing on the half-court offense. And I think the defensive effort is there. I'm not sure if the results are are really there, but I think it'll help quite a bit, uh, from, not just from a defensive perspective, but also a rebounding perspective, which has been an issue. They they were able to out-rebound the, the Nets by three. Um, they had 38 rebounds to the to the Nets 35. But uh I, I just think that when Jaron comes back, Salty will be able to provide that to the second unit, which I think they need that. I think that second unit is probably what's getting killing them in that regard and, and just get this the offense and the defense humming. I mean that that's I I hope that they're on the timeline in terms of getting him back mid November because I'm really excited to see what this team can look like with him filling that role, Santi going back to help boost that rotation, the second unit that's still struggling seems to be a reoccurring theme. But if they can keep stringing out of these wins, man, they'll be they'll be all right. They've got they've got to take care of business on up in this upcoming road trip. And they got the Kings, the Jazz twice and, and Portland Trailblazers and those games are with the maybe exception of the games of the, well really even the Kings is gonna be an interesting situation wise. Uh, it's not gonna be the easy layups that everybody thought it was. So they got to Continue this, and we'll see how they do that on road on this next road trip. But uh, I'm I'm optimistic about the team's outlook right now. And uh, another thing, quickly, that I want to say coming out of this game is this was a total team effort. We saw, like, you go back to the Houston game that felt like superhero job uh, just coming through and winning that game in the end where they were losing. This game, I mean, you look down this box score uh, outside of Laravian Roddy. I mean, with pretty much everybody even offensively, just looking at the numbers, contributing to this game. If you look at BC with 13 points off the bench, Tyus with eight, Contra with seven. I mean, of course, Moran and Bain with 38 apiece. Uh, you got Aldama with 17, Adams with nine and 13. It's just a total team effort. Um, and I think this, this is the first time we've really seen that. And I meant more of that when I was saying it looked like Grizzlies basketball more than so of the, the style of play. I just felt like we're used to this team winning as a team. Um, and it's, it's crazy because you have two guys go out to 38 and you're like, oh, well, that's not winning as a team. But you look at this box score and he, I think they you got a little both for this game. Uh, so that's – and I think that's, that's what they're going to need to do, um, especially when you have guys out. So I, I was really happy to see that because that's kind of not – that's not what we really saw in those first two wins. They pulled those wins out, but there were some deficiencies in that game that I don't think that you saw in this one. I agree. Yeah, that's that. That is a good point. I, I do think because I I walked away feeling like that. Really, almost every game, almost every game, I felt like it was Ja for stretches of time, and literally nobody else. And so I agree with you. Dylan coming back helps quite a bit with that in and of itself. Like we talked about, it puts people kind of back in their roles. So so that automatically is helped. But I think people play better too. Like Brandon Clark got sort of seen. Yeah. He had a great game. Had a great game against the Nets, and he was really impactful. Um, in his time, even though he's, he's technically 
uh, a negative on the. I saw it when I saw the negative ten. I was like, man, that 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 ain't right, man, because he played really well. That's why. That's why, like you said, you can't always put all the stock at plus minus, man, because you have guys going off a of thirty and they'll be a negative. I'm like, man, there's no way. So it it it, it can be good in in some forms, but some sometimes, man, it it it, it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, no, nah, he, he's he's negative ten because Roddy wants to put them shots up. That's, why. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why he's negative ten, man. So I I actually wanted to ask you guys a little bit about Brandon Clark. And I I know, you know, we've discussed it on here about him not being in his ideal role. Uh, He was more in that in this game. He didn't rebound the ball very well. But if you look at where he's at right now, and it's super early. We're four games into the season. So it's a very small sample size. But his minutes are down from what he's played. He's only averaging like uh, 17 minutes a game. His foul rate is higher, and maybe that's what's contributing to the limited amount of minutes that he's getting. But let me pull. He didn't have foul trouble in this next game, did he? Don't remember him having. No, foul I don't trouble. think so. Yeah, four fouls. Four. Yeah, four. Yeah, but I don't. I don't remember him getting them early. I, I, yeah, maybe was, I'm I think wrong it might on that. I, yeah, I think they were spread out. I don't think it was like a a thing where you felt like he was on foul out ever. Yeah, but do you are you concerned at all with you know like where he's at right now, the minutes that he's getting? Is this something that you feel like as the team gets healthy, you're going to see his minutes go back up? Because he he was massive for this team in the playoffs last year, and it's like he took a step back somehow. Whenever the guy that was playing in front of him, that it, it just the way things are lining up, you'd think that you would see an increased role for him, and it's almost like his role has decreased, and and not just decreased a little. I I think I'm okay with it uh, because you're still getting. I mean, I, I don't see a real too much of a difference in a stat line. If there is a difference, it's just because he's struggling, and then you wouldn't want him to get those minutes anyway. Part of it is the Jaron thing because he has always played best with Jaron. Yeah. You play in a lot of closing lineups where it doesn't make sense for him to play in closing lineups. I think the difference in the minutes is him playing in the closing lineup sometimes. Yeah. And so you're not seeing that from him. Some of it's because of fouls, some of it's because of Jaron, some of it because he's struggling. I don't mind seeing him in this role because he's still giving you what you need. And, and even then he could do better with the rebound. Like you said, that's that's still a problem. And that's probably part of it too is this, the Santi thing is – yeah, yeah. Santi thing is real. Santi it, it can give them can give them shooting. Santi can give them more rebounding than what Brandon's been able to give them. So it, it, Brandon giving you thirteen tonight, four or five. And he only had is that two rebounds. Yeah, that's just two rebounds. But I mean, hey, in, in that time period, I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm I'm good with it. I I think if you give him more minutes, I'm not sure how much more you get from him. Uh, because like we said, you can't play him with Steven Adams. I mean, he's going to be limited in his lineups. And so I think it's the best thing right now. Would I love to see him more? Yes. And, and I and I'll, I'll give you a little pushback on the playoff thing. He was massive in the Timberwolves. Timberwolves series, he struggled against the Warriors. He was yeah. awful against the, yeah. the Warriors. And so he is, he is really is matchup dependent. And so that's another reason that just goes into my logic of I'm not mad if I don't see Brandon a ton of minutes because he is such a unique player. He's got to have a, almost a, a very specific circumstances in order for him to thrive. And if those circumstances aren't there, 
you can push it if you want, but you're not going to get ultimate, the 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 optimum. Listen, my words up here, uh, the best version. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get the best version uh, from him. And and Santi is here now, so he's got his competition wins out too. Yeah, I think it's a mix of all those things you said. I think Aldama, like you said, is real. I mean, he played 31 minutes, and I'm saying he's super productive in those minutes. I mean, he's rebounding. Uh, had, had another block uh, in the game against the Nets. I mean, he's playing solid defense. Uh, and so, those are the two things that I'm even more than the offense that I've really been impressed with him by because I expected him to be pretty good on the offensive end, but I didn't know what his potential was as far as on the defensive side and rebounding, and he's been doing that. Uh, so he's been playing a lot of minutes. He gets 31 minutes, and Adams is playing more uh, than he usually plays when Jared is there. He played 31 minutes, and you usually see him BC on the floor of those closing lineups, and now you can't really do that. So I think it's—I think that's kind of what you see. I think once Jaron comes back and the rotation kind of normalizes itself, I think you'll see him on the floor with those closing lineups, and his minutes will go up then. And he's played so well with Jaron, and I think that's going to help him because his numbers are going to go up. And with Jaron, the way he plays, I think that's going to trust Taylor Jenkins to give him those more minutes. So I don't have any problems with it. I kind of understand why those minutes are down now because, as Candace said, he's kind of a – a specialized player it needs to have certain circumstances to get to be optimal uh, for, for his game. Um, and, and I think it's harder to do that in, in a large amount of minutes now with kind of the way the rotation is set up. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder what, uh, what it would look like. And, and I doubt that we see this, but a, a closing lineup with Aldama and, and Brandon Clark in it, as opposed to Aldama and Steven Adams. Depends. Depends on the matchup. It's a matchup. Yeah. yeah. Matchup you know, like the, like this Nets game, they don't have a big and you know, Nick Claxton. Nick Cla- he, yeah, he's he's not. not a big imposing center. He's a guy that BC could match up with pretty well. Um, you know, and that's I know like when BC was on the floor against the Warriors, they were targeting him when he was on yep. the floor. Going right at they, they were bringing him into the pick and roll in hopes that he was switching on to one of their guards, and then they were just cooking him, killing him every time. And, and that's <laughs> it, it was it was so infuriating to watch. I'm nuts. like, I'm like, I know this coaching staff is like watching looking, the same watching, game that I'm over watching. and over and over and over. I'm like, like man, hedge it, <laughs> trap it, like do something, do anything other than let this man, like. He was past barbecue chicken. He was past barbecue chicken. He was like the overdone burnt ends that are so hard you can't even eat them in that series. So, I mean, I I, I get that. I I was definitely wrong on that. He was great in the Timberwolves series. He was very impactful without his play in that series. Yeah, they don't win that series without him. They don't get past them there. But I, I just feel like we should be seeing more from him. And and that is now that Dylan Brooks is back, you can run that closing lineup. You, I, I think you could run a lineup with Ja, Bain, Brooks, Aldama, and Clark out there, and get you know get a pretty good return. Uh, like those guys, uh, Clark and Aldama have played together for forty two possessions so far this year, and they're uh, a plus fourteen. So you know you get production yeah. when both of those guys are out there. He's got to learn how to set screens. We keep talking about it. Uh, it's important. He, 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 has, did, it. he like, did have one. He I mean, did have yeah, one. Like, that game that was set a great one. consistently do it. If he wants to be in them yeah. closing lineups, if he's going to replace Steven Adams in the closing like, lineups, 
that's part of it. That is part. Of, I will say that, like what Steven Adams provides to Ja in order for Ja to be his best self in the fourth quarter, I feel like that supersedes what Brandon can give you matchup wise in the fourth quarter in those closing minutes. And that's why you're seeing Adams over Clark right now. It's not just about the screens, but it's also about the you know you can depend on Adams more for those second chance points and those crucial moments. Whereas Brandon, maybe not. Now you will have Aldama to help offset that, but also. You know, do you want that to be the sole responsibility of Aldama, you know, who's basically playing these third minutes and, you know, for the first time? I think that's probably some of the logic. It's not to say that the Brandon Clark closing line would be bad because I don't think it would be. I just think the logic may be bring the best out of Ja, out of your best player, and that's going to be Adams right now. Yeah, good point. I don't really uh, – there wasn't much of anything else from this game that, that I wanted to, to talk about. It was, you know, we, we talked about, the, you know, the impression that we got. Bain, we expected him to come back. We There were concerns about injury. Was it serious? Was it just conditioning? And, you know, after this performance, it looks like conditioning is the answer to that question. Um, we're not completely clear of that. We've obviously got to see moving forward. But – I. In my mind, I think it's just conditioning. So, uh, do either of you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Yeah, I was going to say I have a couple things. I want to ask you guys, as I mentioned earlier, about Josh's three-point shooting. Uh, I mean, in the past, you would see him, he'd be wide open, and he would still kind of hesitate to take that shot. He's like, do I really want to take this shot? Do I want to drive? And he would kind of hesitate. Now, when, when he gets that, I mean, he's looking for that three, just stepping right into it and shooting it. With confidence, I mean, he's 12 of 20 for 60% so far this season. Obviously, he's not going to keep shooting at that clip, but how much do you guys believe in it? I, I personally think that it, that it's real. I think he's worked on the shot, and I think he's going to be a, a more than capable three-point shooter going forward. I don't really feel like this is – I mean, at this level, you might say it's it's, it's hot shooting, but I think he's going to be able to knock down a couple for you again. How, how are you guys kind of thinking about – about his improved three three point shoot deer through four games. You can you can call me on the fence. I'm on I'm on the fence. Well, I'll say it in this sense. I think it's better than it, than it has been. I think we'll see higher production. I anticipate we'll see a period of time where maybe he's not shooting it so well, where maybe he's having a slump. But what I anticipate is that there'll be longer stretch. Like he'll be able to string together more games where he's shooting from three efficiently than not. And so you know, I don't know where he'll settle down in terms of the numbers. I think it'll still be improved regardless. So I, I know that much for sure. I, will it? I mean, he's like 60% unreal. Yeah, he's just 60% right now. So, break the NBA record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got to be a regression to the mean at some point. But I do think that that steady improvement is there. And like I said, I think they'll just will be less of those stretches where he can't, you know, make a shot today. I, I don't think we'll see that as often. Because there was long stretches of time yeah. last season where he just couldn't make a bucket, man. And those, and those seasons where he could, they were kind of short-lived. I think it'll be the opposite of that. And so it, that's why I say I'm riding the fence. Not to say I don't believe in it, but, you know. I go back to the confidence thing that Isaac mentioned. The The hesitation when they go under or when they give him the space to take that wide-open three – He's letting it rip, and it's not even – I think you saw him, and I would have to look up the analytics on this to make sure this may be my eyes playing tricks on me, so I'm not 100%. But it feels like a lot of his threes last season 
were top of the key threes. And these that we're seeing him shoot this year, it, it's it's more spread out early on. It feels like it anyway. So I, I'll pull up a shot chart and look at that later, and, and I'll touch on it more whenever we get into our next episode. But, yeah, th- there is definitely uh, his level of confidence in taking that shot has increased. And any time that you have more confidence in your shot, I think you're going to make more. It would be ridiculous to think that he's going to shoot 60% all year, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him. You know, I like last year he shot just over 34%. It wouldn't surprise me to see that number up around 37 or 38. 37, 38. That's what I'm hoping for, for this yeah. year. You know, and that's if he's shooting at that clip from three, it's it's just game over for the league. Like, what what do you do to stop him? If he's shooting 38% from three, what are you going to do? And you're going to, he's going to average 35 points a game. That That's what's going to happen. Because when they make the adjustment to try to take the three away from him, he's going to get downhill and, and dunk it on him. And so it, it just, he's insane. And him having that confidence in the three-point shot, it's just taking his game to another level. Yeah, man. And a couple more things for me, man. I'm going to go over the specifics on the Zaire uh, injury from the Grizzlies press release. Right knee soreness from patellar tendonitis. Buzzer diagnostic testing supports a return and play protocol involving progressive loading um, and, and expected return in four to six weeks. So that's very, very Grizzly-like wording there um, on the loading. And that's, that's kind of their language. Uh, so, you know, they say four to six weeks, man. I, I never... I always expect more than that. If it says four to six weeks, I expect eight weeks because they're very cautious when it comes to these type of things. And even when guys seem to be ready to come back, they have these ramp up periods and like, we're not going to play it right now. He's getting his vitamins. He's doing one-on-ones. He's doing two of it. stuff like that. It's not playing full court. They have all these words that they use, but I, I would honestly be surprised to see him back before January. And I know that's kind of a grim outlook, but that's just kind of, I always go to the extreme when it comes to them. But what do you guys think? Do you think we see Jaron back first, or do you think we see Zaire back? Uh, Jaron for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement there. I definitely think we see Jaron back, man. It, and it's unfortunate because, again, man, I felt like this is was a big year for Zaire. Again, as, as we talked about earlier, you want to see if was he taking that leap and this kind of, kind of stunts that. I mean, if he's out to January, man, that's – that's a significant amount of time. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about a young guy that's just coming back trying to prove something, man, you just hate to see him go down. And same thing with Jared. I mean, this was supposed to be a big, big offseason at the, at the end of the season press conference. Uh, he talked about the big binder that he did that the coaching staff gave everybody. And his was the biggest on things they wanted him to, to kind of work on. And for him not to be able to work on those things, I hate that. He missed all that development time. So, Coming back, and that's another thing, like, what is he going to look like when he's come back? I, I don't think people are really taking that into account. They're just thinking he's going to come back and it's just going to be perfect, same Jared that we've had. And I, I'm not so sure about that because, again, he missed entire offseason, talking about conditioning and different things like that. So be interested to see what he looks like before he comes back. And, and last thing, uh, he, he, about- didn't miss, he didn't miss the entire offseason. He got some work in before the injury happened, but yeah, he, he didn't he miss missed. a lot of it. He, he mentioned – I can't remember if it was at media day or if it was just at a, maybe a practice or something, but he, yeah, he had, he had, 
I'm trying to think of how he worded it, but it was something along the lines of like, trust him that he got, he got the work in on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, but I just feel like if, if, I mean, if you did it pre-injury, when you sit out like that, though, it kind of negates some of that. If you're not able to, to do much once you break that foot, I mean, I, I don't know how much he's been able to do since then. I mean, he's moving around pretty well. I think he's doing some stuff now uh, in, in, in workouts and in the practice. I don't think he's doing anything contact or anything like that, but I think in practice he's doing some stuff right now. So that's good to see. Um, I think it's going to be, he's going to be back a lot sooner than I think a lot of us thought initially going back to the summer, um, kind of that timeline. I think this might be one where the guy actually returns sooner than kind of the prognosis that they had out. Uh, but, but last thing, man, this road trip, uh, four game road trip. I think when the schedule came out and you looked at this four game road trip, you probably wouldn't think much of, uh, you got Sacramento two games against Utah, which is a team that you think, think it's going to be tanking and the Portland trailblazers, another team that might not be taken, but, kind of on that lower end of the Western Conference. Uh, the Sacramento game is going to be interesting because they haven't played since Sunday. Uh, so they're going to have three days off. The Grizzlies have two days off. But they're 0-3, and they, they've lost their first two games at home. So they're going to be coming back home. This is a kind of one of what you call a, quote, get-right spot for them. They're, their fans are going to be fired up, and I know they're hearing noise. We're 0-3. we got to get a win. So that's going to be a tough one, man. The Grizzlies are going to have to be ready in Utah. We've talked about that. Utah and San Antonio obviously did not get the memo. Uh, that they're, they're supposed to be losing games. And not only are they winning games, they're winning games against teams that were expected to be at the top of the Western Conference. I mean, they're playing really good basketball. Kelly Olenek, Laurie Markinen have been really, really good for Utah. And, and, it, and even when you're playing a bad team, you play them back-to-back at home, man. It's hard to win both of those games. And look it up at Portland. Portland's sitting at the top of the Western Conference right now at 4-0. So this is a uh, a, a tough road trip. Uh, if I'm going to say it like this, if somebody could give you two and two right now, what would you guys take? I think two and two is realistic. Uh, I, I would love three and one. Would love it. Would love it. Would love it. But I can very easily see two and two. Uh, just because I, I agree with you, either the king. I think I'm. I'm actually not sure they get both of the backs against the Jazz. They just seem. Yeah, like, that's that's just tough. That's going to be I tough. Yeah, lose one of those, and then I yeah. just, it's going to be hard to beat Portland and the Kings. Like you said, given the circumstance of the Kings, given it, you know, they say, like you said, everything oh, being them being zero three, really needing to win. I, I think, yeah, I think I don't think I think they come out, you know, five hundred. I think they pull that out. They're they're still a good team. And John Moran is on an absolute heater right now, so that's going to play a factor. If they come out three and one, I tell you that changes my outlook about the team and, and what ultimately where they end up. I'll say that. I'll say that because it's not the road trip we thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's. I said heading into this road trip, looking at those two games back to back in Utah, that I felt like they would lose one of them, and that's before Utah came out like. I, I hate to say lighting the world on fire, but you know, like for what the expectation was for that team, yeah, that's the tough. Way, okay, who you, you playing? Know, like yeah. the the way that they're playing, and any time, any time that you're playing with no gap in between, that you play to a team back to back, it's yeah. going to be very, very hard to win both of those games. Right. Either you're you're up for one and you're not for the other, especially on the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's um. 
Yeah, I would be good with two and two. And kind of what Candace says, you know, if they come out of this road trip three and one, these teams are not necessarily top of the West teams, but they're playing, you know, the Kings have lost these games, but I don't think the Kings are playing terrible. This this Kings team is not. They're going to be better. Yeah, this is not the Kings team that has gone 15, 16 seasons without making the playoffs or what, what I, I don't know what the drought is exactly, but they're, they're figuring it out. You know, there were not many games played with, uh, I don't know that Sabonis and Fox ever suited up together last year. Not that I can remember if it was, it was not much. I can, I'll actually, I'll message Jill whenever I get off here. She can tell me, but you know, the Keegan Murray, uh, Keegan Murray is going to be a big part of that team. He just moved into the starting lineup for the first time uh, tonight, I believe. Um, so yeah. th- they're they're figuring it out. They've got a new head coach, and he is focusing on defense. So it's it's going to be fun to watch this road trip. Um, probably the, the the game that I'm most interested in is the game at Portland yeah. because that that's a team they made the moves with the intention of being competitive and. Um, I think that's that's going to be kind of a tough matchup for the Grizzlies. You have, you know, Dame Lillard, obviously, and then um, Jeremy Grant is a guy that could have, and he's been really, like, hot or cold. It's either been feast or famine with him, but he's a guy that can light you up if you're not careful. That that team is just – it's put together different, and they're on a mission. They want to be in the playoffs. So I think that's going to be a pretty good measuring stick for this team whenever they go up there to play at Portland. I feel better yeah. with, with Dylan being in. Just real quick, I just want to say I feel better about that Portland matchup with Dylan being in, uh, being able to guard Dame. He generally does pretty well against Dame. It's CJ who <laughs> who goes off because we always have Dame on, on not on lock, but con- relatively contained. We ain't got to worry about CJ going off in this game, I guarantee. No. I, no. no. He's going to be in New Orleans or somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. That's what gives me optimism. But yeah, man, I think I, I would take two and two. I hope for three and one because I think three and one, if if they go three and one, and you're really with what everything that they're dealing with, that would be just spectacular. What would that put them at six and two? Yeah, uh, I think that would be spectacular. I think you look at the the game at Sacramento and the game at Portland. I think realistically you split those, and I think you split the two in Utah, um, and, and come out two and two. But I think three and one, that's. You're looking at something different if they if they come out of this three and one, which I think they're capable of doing. It's just it's just tough, man. Anytime you go on a road, especially too early in the season, um, and you, you're still missing Jerry, and those things are still real. Like they overcome some of those things, but it, it's not guaranteed that those things won't pop back up in certain games. You get into a game, especially on a road where a team's hot, um, and, and you don't necessarily have that defense that you would normally have when when Jaron's in there, and you can lose a game like that. So. I would take two and two, but I'm hoping for three and one. Yeah, I, I think the difference between the two records is just going to come down to the defense. Like, that's really that's really can can they get enough stops for that to be the difference? And if they can, I, I'm not sure it's going to be just because they outshot their opponent alone. I think they can get them two of those wins, but I think one of those teams you're just going to have to make some stops. Yeah, I think Portland Portland is 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 the one I look at that you you're going to have to get stops in that game in order order to win it. I don't think you're just going to. Going to outscore them. I mean, because they could they could put points on the board. And Dame is playing fantastic. Uh, I think he took a lot of this stuff personal. Man, he seems to be on a mission. I, I think I think I think we might have been wrong on that team. I think a lot of people wrote that team off, and I think they 
they're feeding off that right now. We'll see if it lasts. I don't, they're not going to be top of the West or anything, but I feel like now just looking at them, I know it's super early that just because of that attitude they have, they seem to really be playing together. I, I think that team could be in the play-in mix. Yeah. Yep, I agree with it, man. All right. Well, we can wrap it up. You guys good with that? You got anything else? I'm good, man. All right. We appreciate it. Ready for tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow night, uh, what's it? At Sacramento, right? That's it. At the Kings in the against the Fox and the Ox. I think that's one of the uh the catchphrases. I kinda like it. I, I like it a little bit. But uh always I enjoy the Kings games. I, I am uh, I'm friends Fox with Fox and Ox, I don't know about that. I, I I'm friends with a lot of uh, a lot of Kings fans and, and they're good people. So uh shout out to Jillian, know. man. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Anybody, anybody that has remained a Kings fan throughout the stuff that they've had to go through has got to be a good person at the center of their core because there's no way you could be a bad person and put up with the crap that they've had to put Feels up scared. with. So. Feels scared to be in the Kings fan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, you can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I am at NBA Dwell 2 one Yep, you can find me on Twitter at CandaceH901. Isaac? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA, I-S-A-A-C underscore underscore NBA. Make sure you check out, did a, a great interview with Grizzly Radio play-by-play voice, Eric Castletop last night. We have that up, uh, that ethos Grizzly. Make sure you check that out, and this one will be dropping shortly. Uh, so make sure you check that out as well. Give us a like and follow over there. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, for David, again, uh, I've been Isaac Until next time, we go. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.